Hello and welcome to the Into the Adultverse podcast once again. Uh, today's episode, again, is, is a little bit more of a heart-to-heart rather than a technical conversation. We're going to be talking about failure. Um, failure is a super interesting concept to us because uh, we've both failed a lot and we've taken a lot from our failures and been able to kind of translate that into, into new goals and new successes and, and motivation for our future projects. So um, yeah, listen to us talk a little bit about like, you know, the psychology behind failure, but also more so just like how we interpret failure and how it's been a huge part of our lives. So thanks for listening. See you on the flip side. For what it's worth, it's never too late or, in my case, too early to be whoever you want to be. There's no time limit. Stop whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it. And I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things you've never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life that you're proud of. If you find that you're not, I hope that you have the courage to start it all over again. So where's that quote that's from? A, you got to tell. That's a quote from the great F. Scott Fitzgerald. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, I think it was just like I, I was reading it. I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful, Damn, and yeah. it seems so fitting for today's conversation. Dude, every time I try and like I find a quote, I'm like, yo, Damien's not gonna know this quote. It's gonna be a good quote. <laughs> you hit me with another quote, and it's way sicker. And I'm always like, oh man. <laughs> oh, you had a quote ready too. I had a quote ready too, of course, bro. You know, I've been lacking oh, on the say quotes. Less. Say but, less. All right, let's hear it. Yeah, for sure. Um, we could we could talk about your quote as well after. Uh, but my quote was from Maya Angelou, who I think uh, mm. really characterizes you know the, I got a lot of stuff that's going on right now, especially with BLM and stuff. And she's a great thinker. Uh, but anyways, um, the quote is: "You may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you know you so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, and how you can still come out of it." Um, and yeah, I, I, I like this quote because I think that so you can know who you are part has been a huge part of my life. Um, I, I feel like um, as an endless explorer of things and as someone who's just like kind of inherently curious, um, I really define myself by the things that I've failed from and how I failed from them and how I've learned from those things. And like that's been a huge part of my identity in terms of like figuring out who I am and what I like doing. Um, and I'm continuing to fail at that. I'm continuing to realize that sometimes I suck at these things. I'm like, maybe if I suck at them, I can pivot. Or, you know, sometimes it's time to lean into the things you suck at and like really try and get better at them. Uh, but that process of self-discovery has been huge for me. Um, that's why I wanted yeah. to share that quote. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk that's about beautiful. yours too. Um, well, I feel there's a lot of overlap between the two quotes that we shared. For sure. Um, it's more so, I mean, like, yeah, they're both kind of about that process of discovery. Mm-hmm. And making sure that you're continuously moving forward against I don't know, all odds, or even when you have the support of the people around you, you just want to make sure that whatever your circumstances are, mm-hmm. you just don't falter in the face of adversity. And, you know, life just becomes a lot more beautiful for that. Absolutely. So like you're saying, you know, you're discovering a lot more about yourself through every new um, experiment that you conduct, through every new lesson you learn. Right. And I think that's such a beautiful thing, you know, just the how we're getting to know ourselves a little better through everything that we try out. Mm-hmm. Like we, you kind of, we live in our own head for so much of our lives mm-hmm. and we tend to get too absorbed in that. I feel like sometimes, but you know, just maybe even taking a third person POV 
to the way that we live our lives so that we can kind of interact with ourselves like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and not in like in a weird way. Don't go talk to yourself in like public. Let's <laughs> guess it not in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, like do that process of self-reflection and everything and recognizing that, yeah, like you said, like there are going to be certain things you suck at. Mm-hmm. And... I'll be a lot of whole, a lot of things that I suck at. So. <laughs> a lot of... St- I mean, some, it, it might be a lot. It might be little. Again, like... I think it's important to recognize don't fall prey to that that sunk cost bias. Mm. Just because you've sunk a lot of time into something doesn't mean that you got to devote the rest of your life For to sure. trying to kind of seek those incremental gains on that. Like it's okay to call it quits on something, because you know, and like this the other thing, right? Like you can fail at whatever you don't love, so might as well take a chance and try it your hand at what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it it's important to start early. Build up that experience so you know when it's time to call quits and when it's time to lean in and try a little bit harder or even when it's time to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think yeah. focusing on the journey is, is really important. And it's a huge part of failure because people think of failure as like an automatic like, oh, I wasn't good at this. Um, but I think like focusing on it as a process of self-discovery is so much more positive. Like, um, And sometimes that means mm-hmm. that you do, you know, you do continue with it. But I think people have this like pressure where, you know, you're a quitter right? Like the whole concept of being a quitter and things like that is like super, super evident, like from the time we were growing up. I know for me, it was huge with my dad as well. Like my dad, um, you know, would sort of, I feel like he, he reinforced these ideas in my head where it was like, if, if you quit something, you know, you're like not seeing it through. It's like not good if you quit. Right. And you know, that's true. Like, I think there is something to be said about persistence. Um, but I think it, it's, it's hard when you think about it. So black and white, because there are plenty of things that you're going to fail at and you should quit. And you should not sink more time into because that's just not who you are. And that's, the, you know, if it doesn't align with your goals and your ideals and, and, and things like that. And um, I mean, there's so many studies done on this, but uh, in particular, uh, when I, was, I think it was when I was reading Outliers, like there's a huge section on like the fact that kids who do like more extracurriculars as, as when they're young um, are way, way more successful later on in life. And it, that's due to a huge part. Um, you know, obviously because they have supportive parents and they're privileged enough to do those extracurriculars. And like, you know, that translates into success down the line because higher SES. But uh, in addition to that, it's like that process of self-discovery where, Mm. you know, like people, like these kids get to try a lot of different things and then figure out what they like. And through the process of trying these things, they learn skills in those fields and they learn how to talk to people in those fields and like build those social interactions as well. Um, Like if you've never done a team sport, um, like, you know, Obviously, you have group projects and things like that, but doing a team sport teaches you so much about how to function in a team and how to communicate, you know, how to work towards a common goal and things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, this, I guess this is getting a little bit off topic, but um, yeah, like having that like larger base of things to draw from even, and, and realizing that, you know, sometimes it's not okay or it's not what you want to do and you fail at it and you quit. Uh, but having that larger base of experiences to draw from is always a huge, huge positive in the future for your career. Um, and we talk about this a lot with like specialists versus generalists. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, no one should be a specialist when they're four or five, you know what I mean? Like no one should be like a world-class soccer player when they're nine, you know, like, and if, if that's what you're passionate about, that's what you want to focus on. That's fine. But you should try different experiences in the beginning, um, in order to like kind of build up that. But yeah. And I think that's like, it's, it's an intrinsic thing that we're born with, you know, like all kids are born natural scientists. Mm. They're so innately and passionately curious about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, to a point where you know it's almost annoying to some people to have to deal with like the incessant questions that kids have, mm-hmm. but it's something that really should be nurtured. 
Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, by the time that they go through the education system, most of those kids lose that fire that they have for discovering new things. Yeah. yeah. It's a sad thing to, to see, you know, like think about if we really did nurture that and like you see the difference, like some parents do a phenomenal job in, um, like kind of incubating that, that, the, the raw potential there, um, versus like just squandering it just because they get annoyed at the incessant questions. But sure. it's important to know, understand where they're coming from. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's actually pretty interesting. If I feel like kids have such a unique perf- and refreshing perspective on life. They do. Like we take <laughs> so many things for granted, mm-hmm. uh, and we just assume so many things just to be like just true, just by virtue of like it being existing around us. And we don't really question that. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I think we we gotta have some more young youths around us. You know, like entertain those questions and see what you can learn from those. Yeah, uh, curiosity is a big thing. Like, I think it drives a lot of human endeavor, you know, beyond morality even. I think some people just build things because they're curious about how they work, right? And like, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I think it's important to, like, keep those values of curiosity. There's, like, whatever that quote where, you know, every kid is born an artist until someone tells them they're not an artist or whatever. I forget what the exact Mm -hmm. quote is, but it's, like, a really popular one. Um, Like, the artists are the ones who have survived that process and not right not like been told that they're not artists anymore um but yeah kind of rewinding a little bit back to parenting because uh, i did i have like thought about this quite a bit and um especially in the book mindset by carol dweck which talks about you know having that growth mindset from failure um which we you know we talked about a little bit in like mental resilience but um there's actually like a huge ability and this has been like really proven through like a bunch of papers which i can link um but there's a huge um like work of or work of research that supports kind of the idea that um this fear of failure and this like you know apprehension to like you know trying new things can be passed down from parents to children and it's all about how you frame conversations like that early on and i think it's you know on the one hand it sucks because it's like uh dude if you if your parents like raised you like that then it's really hard for you to kind of break out of those molds and things like that but on the Mm. other hand i think it's cool because it it really empowers you people to be able to make those decisions right like it's not like something you're born with it's rather it's like like a nurture thing not a nature thing right um and so uh, a lot of it is like conversation around failure right so like you know when you were a kid like were you told like you, you know you were worthless because you weren't able to do something or like were you told like these people who could do this thing like on their first try were like so much better than you or like you know reframing the conversation around intelligence and talking about um you know, hard work instead of intelligence and things like that. Um, that's really, really important. And so I don't, I'm not a parent and I don't plan on being a parent soon, but it's interesting to think about how, you know, even in our own lives with our friends, you know, if a friend approaches you with a failure, like how can you respond to that in order to like cultivate that growth mindset and like not focus on his identity-based model of like thinking of himself in terms of that failure, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, I guess like first most relevant to what you said, um, I feel like every, a lot of parents' favorite exercise is comparing their kids to another kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like immigrant kids especially get this a lot. Oh yeah. Um, and it's the most frustrating thing, you know, hearing that. Sucks. And it's definitely like there's no there's no value to be gained by it. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely like try and shy away. But it, and it sucks too because like growing up, you know, you there's certain things you see your parents do and you keep thinking to yourself like i'm not gonna be like that like i'm not gonna mm. parent my kids the way my parents are and oh my god <laughs> realistically a lot of a lot of us will end up being that the kind of mirror image of the way that our parents raised us mm. and um 
again, it's important to keep reflecting on the things you'd like and the things you don't like and just be cognizant of the way that you treat other people too because um, that you don't know how those attitudes manifest themselves and sometimes it's in the most random places. Um, mm-hmm. But also I was thinking about, uh, you, do you know the XKCD comics? Yes, I do. I love those. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, For those of you yeah, who don't know, the, we'll, we'll link it in the in the description. But yeah, they're, they're basically just like yeah, comic honestly, strips on like philosophical questions and things like that. It's pretty cool. Everything, bro. They yeah. have a comic for literally everything. It's insane. Yeah. Um, but they, they there's this one comic they, um, I guess, published where they were talking about how for everything that you take for granted that you know that seems like such an obvious thing, mm-hmm. uh, and they did the math on this, there's roughly 10,000 people that are learning it for the first time like that day. So every day, you know, there's a brand 10, new 10,000 people. Yeah. Damn. Um, considering, you know, like, um, like the birth rate. Oh, this is in the States. Oh, okay. In the okay, States okay. specifically. Yeah, cool. not in the world. So 10,000 people um, in the U.S. learning that at the same time. In a day, yeah. Dude, that's, so like that's incredible. Then when you think about the world, that's like way more, you know. But, way more. Yeah. And I think that's such a... If somebody's coming up to you and they are one of the 10,000 for the day, that is such a unique opportunity for you to show them something amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you imagine like seeing the... Uh, being the first person to show one of those 10,000, like the Coke and Mentos project. Dude. Yeah. That's <laughs> Did you awesome. see that blow up in your face? Yeah. It's sick, right? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Be, be a compassionate person. I, I feel like we've kind of, yes, yeah, strayed a bit from it as the, the initial topic a bit as well, but yeah. um, reeling it back in like mindset, like you said, is such a huge part of the way that we frame failure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the, like your world and, you know, like the work you produce, everything is a reflection of the beliefs that you hold about yourself as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. And it's hard growing up when, you know, your parents are constantly telling you like, oh, you're a failure. Why can't you be like this? Why can't you be like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's this like self-fulfilling prophecy, because if you believe yourself to be unimportant, you're going to leave an unimportant mark in the world. Oh, man. Right. Yeah. And it's going to reflect in the work you do um, and the way you navigate everything. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of thoughts on that. Um, first off, like. Um, I think, I think this has been really, really big right now in terms of being able to admit when you're wrong as, as a concept and like why in society we, we feel like we sort of attach ourselves to our beliefs and they become part of our identity. And so when somebody exposes those as wrong, like we, you know, we have an immediate visceral reaction and we're kind of unable to process things logically because we've associated with an attack on our identity. And so, Mm. uh, really, really telling. So. Uh, I was, I'm very, very fortunate to have like attended a talk at Twitter recently by the author, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. Um, he's the author of like a number of books on like anti-racism, uh, most notably how to be an anti-racist, which I highly recommend for anyone listening to this podcast. Um, and I'll link it in the description as well. But, um, it's this idea of like, you know, racist being like an identity based model of, of attacking somebody like, you know, somebody is or isn't a racist, Right. And basically dismantling that idea, like some, like it's not about whether you are or aren't a racist. All of us are products of systemic racism and you know racist society in general. It's about actions that are racist or not racist, and reframing it in terms of actions is really really important in order to actually get people to change. Because in America we have this idea where like you know if somebody's called a racist, they're like I'm not a racist, and it's like the immediate like knee jerk reaction because like when you're saying somebody's racist, you're really just saying like they're a bad person, right? Like who, like mm-hmm. who is racist? Like only bad people are racist. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so people's like immediate knee jerk reaction is like, I'm not a racist. Right. And it's like, 
well, you know, when you call someone a racist, it needs to be qualified and it shouldn't be like a, an identity judgment. It should be like a, you know, I think this is what you were doing and this was racist because it was discriminatory in this way. And when you free frame it in terms of actions, you give people that ability to change their actions and then therefore change who they are. But like, you're never a racist or not a racist. Like even, even like myself, like I'm complicit in a system of racism, right? And there are times during which I am a racist and times where I'm not. But it shouldn't be an identity-based model. It should be something you're always struggling to be. You're struggling to mm-hmm. be more anti-racist. And um, for those of you who don't know, like anti-racism, as distinguished from like not being a racist, is like you know actively trying to you know like defend people of color and like make better decisions in that process. And and the reason for that is because if you just say I'm not a racist and you're not actually doing anything to you know like combat racism, you're basically complicit in the system as well. Um, and so I highly mm-hmm. recommend that talk, but I, I think it, it relates to the whole like identity based model of like, you know, we should really, really start normalizing, you know, changing your mind after you learn new things and not being attached to your previous opinions. And I think a lot of people like struggle with this, especially like, you know, with all the isms like sexism, homophobia, like racism, and homophobia in particular, like a lot of people like, you know, have these like cultural beliefs and things like that, that, you know, like they believe that it's right or wrong and things like that. But like, you know, what it's totally normal to change those beliefs after you've read a little bit more science or like you know like heard stories of like friends of yours who have been through the process and things like that like i think we should definitely normalize that ability it's like you know just say hey you know i was wrong like let's continue on from that and uh dude sorry i'm kind of going on a rant here but there's so many topics especially at twitter that relate to this which is like the whole idea of like cancel culture um and dr kennedy had like some very very interesting thoughts on cancel culture um Actually, let me pull that up right now, just because I think it would be a really, really interesting thing to talk about. Um, we can cut this out, by the way. My bad. It's okay. Um, okay, yeah, sorry. Um, so, yeah, he had an interesting point about cancel culture, and so... Uh, basically somebody asked him like how can we create space for people on twitter to make mistakes and grow and like kind of defeat this idea of cancel culture and he said part of cancel culture is coming from the idea that a racist is a fixed category uh once someone shows that they're racist like they're canceled right uh but this is is this is not like not really the case like we should uh be able to admit like part of being an anti-racist is being able to admit when you are racist and and growing from there and you know if, if you're denying that you're racist, you are being racist. You know, we've all heard that, oh, well, you know, I'm not a racist, but, and like that, like, you know, everything that ever has followed that has always been a racist statement, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, like, encouraging people to grow um, is an aspect of being anti-racist, right? Like, allowing people to grow from their mistakes and admit them, because if you don't allow that, you're kind of resigning them to this, like, identity of being a racist. And, like, that's not good for society. Like, we shouldn't have, like, the identity-based model. But, yeah talked about a ton um and i think it definitely relates to failure but i would love to hear your thoughts yeah like the whole i mean that's something i think a lot of people struggle with and it i guess just intuitively it makes sense like why it's such a like a cumbersome process to go through that you spent your entire life building up the beliefs that you have today Mm -hmm. and if you find somebody that challenges your view in such a like elegant way it takes a lot of um, a lot of energy, a lot of cognitive bandwidth for you to kind of assimilate that new information and recognize like, oh shit, maybe they do have a point. Mm-hmm. But 
that takes a lot of effort because now you have to completely reassess your beliefs from the ground up about this one thing, right? Mm-hmm. So now you got to educate yourself about the topic and um, try and form like a newfound opinion on it based on that. Mm-hmm. And most people are just way too lazy to want to go through that whole process. Mm-hmm. And they will resort to these like just taking rather than attacking the other person's argument they can resort to like ad hominem right like attacking the other person as an yeah, individual he, maybe their their credentials or like whatever yeah yeah and it's such a yeah it's such a bullshit thing and i think those are the people that we need to be the most patient with because again like for every one of those people that we can change their minds on that's worth like a like leagues of people changing like who are easily swayed on their opinions on things mm-hmm. um because like they usually people who hold those beliefs they're entrenched in this lifestyle where they know uh, like a whole slew of other people who hold that same belief right and they are so fixed in this mindset that you mm-hmm. know most of them just will not budge but seeing like one of them convert might be that that catalyst to getting like some of those other people in that um in that that network to change too mm-hmm um there was oh man i cannot remember his name for the life of me but um there was this one black guy right he used to attend like kkk rallies and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and what he would do is he would go and befriend them and he was like single-handedly responsible for converting like 100 kkk members um into like this yeah this new like frame of mind where he actually got them to give up that lifestyle they literally like handed that handed him their robes be like hey man i was completely wrong about all of this i realized that you know i was really in this silo this whole time right and like i was only hearing this one pov this whole time so i just thought that to be true Mm -hmm. and can you imagine like how much love compassion empathy and patience that takes to be putting yourself first of all in a position of danger Mm -hmm. um but still recognizing how important it is to be able to reach out to that community Mm -hmm. to try and make this better change Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah that's beautiful um i like when i think about things like that like I, I think they're so inspiring obviously but i also like can't shake the feeling that you know stuff like that shouldn't be needed and it's so hard to like you know you should never expect that of somebody of color or like uh, like to, to be able to do that because it's so dangerous and so like difficult but yeah you're absolutely exactly. right i think we can start with like cultural changes too you know just like the idea of being okay with failure and by extension being okay with being wrong is like a huge mm-hmm. thing um and you know, to kind of shift the conversation, um, I think Silicon Valley has like a, a particular unique attitude towards failure that I think sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And I'm going to link a, a really interesting TED talk, uh, which is like one of my one of my favorite TED talks. It, it's called Don't Fail Fast, Fail Mindfully by Letitia Gaska. Uh, she's like a, a pretty prominent entrepreneur and stuff like that. And she's like, she started a couple companies, but um, why, don't I, why don't I start with like a little bit more of a background? So in Silicon Valley, for those of you who don't know, although I'm sure most people listening to this probably know, um, fail culture is like alive and strong and thriving. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's the idea that, you know, you need to fail fast to learn from your mistakes and then iterate on them and then keep going from there. Go, go like keep going real quick from there. Um, and so people, you know, especially in software engineering where it, perhaps it's like a little bit easier to do this because we don't have like physical infrastructure and physical supply chains and things like that to edit. Uh, we can just do that in code, which is like quick, much quicker turnaround time. You're very much encouraged to experiment things and try things out. And then if they fail, you know, kill them and keep going from there. And I think they, they've done a really great job of moving away from this, like, you know, they call it like the waterfall model where, you know, co- orders come from the top and then trickle their way down. And then projects, proposals get built 
and you know you like by the time it reaches the customer it's been like eight months and then if, if something's wrong you have to go all the way back up the stack and like you know continue right. going down which is like you know you would release an app once every like four years if you did that versus like the iterative model where you know you just try things out they fail kill it if they don't like put it put it back in and just keep going really quickly from there and silicon valley has kind of encouraged this fail culture and you know in a lot of instances it's very positive and i think quick iteration is, is an important part of building good software and building good systems and getting feedback quickly and early on in the process rather than like you know working on something for eight months and then getting feedback on it but um, for sure. this ted talk actually talks about um how you know that isn't always isn't always the case like um and she talks uh, about a particular story where um, she like her first business that she ran right out of business school uh, was like basically like a a, a purse making business uh, where there were like handmade products from like indigenous peoples in Mexico, and she oh, would like yeah. yeah like she would like basically take their products to market, and it was like a pretty popular in like Mexico City amongst like more wealthy people, and she would try and like sell those and then give the indigenous women a cut, and then obviously take a cut herself. Um, and she talks about how that business failed and how, you know, this culture of like failing fast sometimes um, forgets the people um, like, you know, that are, are most at stake in this process. And so I, I'm just going to quote from the top because I think it's a really good talk. But she said, of course, failing fast is a great way to accelerate learning and avoid wasting time. But I fear that when we present rapid failure to entrepreneurs as their one and only option, we might be promoting laziness. We might be promoting that entrepreneurs give up too easily. I also fear that the culture of rapid failure could be minimizing the devastating consequences of the failure of a business. For instance, when my social enterprise died, the worst part was that I had to go back to the indigenous community and tell the women that the business had failed and it was my fault. Uh, for some people, this could be seen like a great learning opportunity for me. But the truth is that the closure of this business represented much more than that. It meant that the women would stop receiving an income that they really needed. And so for this reason, I want to propose the idea that just as we put aside the idea of being publicly humiliated, uh, put aside the idea of publicly humiliating failed entrepreneurs, but you must also put aside the idea that failing fast is always the best. Instead, I want to propose a new mantra, that we fail mindfully, that we remember that businesses are made of people and not just entities that disappear and appear magically without consequences. When a firm dies, people lose their jobs, people lose their money, and it can have a negative impact on economies, ecosystems, and communities that they were trying to serve. Wow. Yeah. There's a, I guess a bunch to unpack there, but I love that the whole mantra there. Cause I feel like, especially given how pervasive tech is like in our lives, typically like failures within the tech realm, like they can have downstream effects, like on a bunch of different communities. Right. Especially when considering like, again, like this, this will look different based on like what your product is. If you have like this kind of supply chain where, you know, you have those, kind of at-risk communities that d depend on your business to make a living mm -hmm. but there are like for example i was having a conversation with um someone on linkedin about like systems de design engineering right and uh, i was asking them about what kind of lessons that they took from working within that field and what kind of lessons they can extrapolate from that in order to apply that to like other aspects of their lives right and one thing about uh, systems design engineering that they mentioned was that you really need to take into account every different POV on a problem. Because mm. like when you come to a problem, it's not just this one kind of narrow solution that you're looking for. Because mm -hmm. there might be different angles you need to keep in mind. And, you know, there's a problem of sometimes problems 
um, or solutions that try to solve every single problem. Yeah. And like they overextend themselves. There's the problems of like over-optimization and things of that nature, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, or, and like, so the, she gave the example of like Twitter's backend, which I guess would be relevant to you. <laughs> but <laughs> um, basically, whenever like there's updates on people's timelines, yeah. Um, Twitter basically sacrifices memory for performance in that they can they keep the copies of the timeline on three different databases, so it does consume way more memory. But as a as a result of that, um, uh, whoever's scrolling through Twitter will be getting their information a lot faster, like their right. videos a little faster and everything. Mm-hmm. And you know, as someone who uses Twitter, I definitely value speed um, as probably like the highest the highest the thing of highest importance right because you're not storing this on your memory so you don't care right exactly yeah. and i'm not trying to wait two minutes for a, min- a video to load no one like cares. if it takes longer than five seconds i'm gone so that's absolutely the next attention thing. is so fickle in, in these days. exactly yeah. um but like it just kind of like ties back to that too right being mindful about recognizing that you may have a problem in front of you but that not that may, that may not be the true underlying issue that you need to address mm. and there may be other hidden variables involved in that which you need to start looking at as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like it's it's like a whole like within every problem, it's there seems to be like a whole ecosystem of other problems, or like other things that can be addressed. And right. being mindful about the, everything that that entails mm-hmm. can lead to so many better outcomes too. Like that process versus outcome mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like process versus outcome, and realizing that um, you know every outcome has a process associated with it, whether you choose to think of it or not like you know when you when this business fails and you and you pop out whether you choose to think of it or not which is a choice you're making um Mm. these consequences are still here you know like these indigenous women are still not getting the income they need um you know you might have like uprooted a community you know what i mean and like it's like csr is like you know something that was like talked about corporate social responsibility something that's talked about a lot and like you know i i feel certain ways about certain things that businesses do in order to like kind of like social wash their their initiatives and things like that or like greenwashing oh my god and greenwashing like yeah um but like kind of tying it back to the the idea of failure is like failure shouldn't be like a check mark or a not check mark it should be a conversation and we should be encouraged to have those conversations because only then can we actually go forward from a failure and like take everything that we need to take from that failure you know um and so yeah just because you kill a project doesn't mean you've done the due diligence in actually processing that failure. And um, uh, switching the topic a little bit, um, I actually have a friend who, who worked at Google X, which is pretty pretty cool place for those of you who don't know. Uh, it's like called the Moonshot Factory, but essentially it's like, you know, Google's like attempts to solve like the problems that are like 10x impact or whatever, right? So, you know, getting internet to everybody, um, you know, self-driving, like different projects like that. What Waymo is actually spun up out of Google X. Um, and so... I think Google X has like a pretty interesting, um, you know, approach to failure that I think I think it was really cool um, and uh, is like you know just valuable to discuss. But basically at Google X, what happens is um, they don't necessarily have like you know the same like market environment where you know if you don't compete and you're not getting customers, like you're you're gone, right? Because they're kind of like you know bubbled away from that with like you know Google's funding and Google's resources mm-hmm. and all that, which is like substantial funding and resources right and so what they try and do is they try to create this artificial sense of failure and they really really encourage like they really try and build systems that encourage that and so uh one of the cool things that they do actually is um they pay people and they give people promotions for killing their project uh which is super super cool so like if you're an engineer on a project 
and and like it's like one of those like early stage you know kind of start a few projects that's like trying to solve one of these problems and you realize something that like is fundamentally wrong about how they're solving it and you decide to kill your project you actually get promoted for killing your project interesting yeah. okay so uh, you know what this does is like it encourages people to realize when something is failing early and it creates that artificial sense of like that market competition um, and they do this in other ways too like they they only release a certain amount of funding um, if you've you know like reached a certain amount of customers right like they don't just give you funding like necessarily for everything um, other things include like you know um, yeah like the promotions for failures and then just like you know making firms compete on on resources as well so like they have to reach a certain like growth stage before they get additional resources um, and so you know Although I don't think it's like a perfect one-to-one -one mapping of, um, of like mar real market world considerations, and there isn't the same sort of like sense of risk. I think it's a really, really interesting way to approach failure, where you should be like rewarded for failing because it means you've made progress towards the ultimate solution. You know what I mean? Like the fact that you decided that the solution is wrong and we didn't sink more resources into it is actually a good thing. So we could pivot to the real solution at hand uh wow there's yeah that's that's super interesting actually and i mean i guess with that model like most people that get involved in companies they want to look at everything they can do to make it succeed mm -hmm. but implementing that new framework i suppose makes it uh or causes them to look at it in a way where okay like, what what are the possible choke points like what can make this fail mm -hmm. and actively be looking for that I'm just wondering if it causes people to kind of detract from the mission a bit and like they get too focused on trying to like make the project burn. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I, there has to be like a good balance there. Yeah. But I guess like just taking a step back and bringing the conversation, a conversation to a more individual centric kind of POV. Yeah. And talking about like failure in just like in people's like individual personal lives mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. they pick up new skills or trying out new endeavors, whatever. Um, the... So failure has to be a perennial part of your life. Mm -hmm. Like if you're, as Kevin Kelly said, if you're not falling down a couple of times, you're just coasting. Right. And I think it's important to keep that in your, like in your frame of reference, just because failure implies that you are actively trying to become someone, like become everything that you're capable of being. Mm -hmm. And as Maslow said, if you plan on being anything less than you are capable of being, you will probably be unhappy all the days of your life. Oof. And that's how I look at it too, because who's really trying to be on their deathbed thinking to themselves like, oh, what if I tried my hand at this? What if I went out and did this? What if I reached out to this person, you know? Mm. Rather, just do it all now. Like you, you can't do everything, but you can't do you can't do everything, but you, wait, you can't do anything. Wait, you can do everything, but you no, you can't. Wow, <laughs> you can do it's anything, but you can't do everything. Hasn't kicked in yet? Eh? <laughs> there we go. I mean, yeah, my brain's still like booting up, but yeah, you can't do everything, but you can do anything. Um, and that's why I think it's important to be mindful about it. Don't rush headfirst into something just because it's cool. Like learn about it first and realize or recognize whether it's something that you do want to be sinking uh, your time into mm -hmm. and recognize the value of your time when you do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and again, like, yeah, just know when to pivot. It's not the strongest or the most intelligent species that survives. It's the species that's most adaptable to change. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, hinge your, 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 your path around that, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, so many thoughts around that. But, uh, you know, as we're taking this more personal, I want to ask you, what is the biggest failure you've experienced and um i don't know if it's it, this is pretty personal so you know maybe 
you want to talk about uh, like whatever you want to talk about whatever you're comfortable with sharing on air um and yeah. also describe kind of like you know how you approach that failure afterwards and like what you kind of took from it in that sense I mean, like, if you're asking this question, you had to be able to be vulnerable a little bit. Yeah. For when I ask you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm expecting right back. it back. I'm potting right now in my head what I'm going to say. So, so you, well, you got to go less. first. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I actually uh, talked about, like, my biggest failure, too, in my grad school interviews. So mm. I think being vulnerable um, definitely does uh, help people, like, appreciate you for more for who you are. For sure. Nobody wants somebody who's, like, too perfect, right? Yeah. You got yeah. to show people that mm-hmm. you're a little imperfect, but... Anyways, um, I think my biggest failure, and it's something that I'm endlessly grateful for that it happened like early on in my life and that I was able to take that and learn from it and be able to move forward and apply it to everything else that I mm-hmm. do in my life. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, my biggest failure definitely came from, and I think I mentioned this maybe like once before in the podcast, but it came from transitioning into university from my first year, uh, into my first year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was one of those things where, high school doesn't prep you adequately Mm -hmm. for like the journey that's to come for sure and i went through elementary school through high school and yeah like it was it was easy you know like for the most part i did really well i didn't have to put in any work Mm -hmm. i didn't have any established study routines or anything i would literally just maybe like maybe cram before the night before but like the work was pretty straightforward so i didn't really have to do that most of the time Mm -hmm. and my entire self-identity was hinged around being that like smart kid right Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And I went into first year university and obviously like things just ramped up. Things started like I got, there was way more work to do. There was so many more things happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, People to meet, uh, events to keep up with. And I just ended up like crashing. Like by some miracle, I didn't fail anything, but my grades tanked like crazy. Mm. And with that you know it really went myself of self-identity like i hinged my self-worth on my grades and now like my grades are gone so there goes my self-worth out the window as well right and i fell into some bad habits during that time and i I don't know what it was just weird it was just like this one day i was just sitting down and i reckoned like just I i had this conversation with myself and i realized okay if i keep this up i'm really going nowhere fast Jeez. so in that moment it it honestly was just because like seeing some of it seemed like the other people around me like in my um in my program seeing how they were doing well they were succeeding and i wasn't that person and for some reason like i and this is the thing right there were so many different things i did to rationalize where i was like oh school's not for me um you know i just actually go to a different program i like i don't know these endless endless ways to rationalize your your way out of a bad situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right and like i did everything but take ab- accountability up until that moment where i recognized like okay well if i don't do anything about this i'm gonna end up nowhere fast so yeah. let me make this this covenant with myself every tomorrow and every day forward i'm gonna do my best to get a little bit better every day because i'm not i know i know i'm not going to change my life around um like just overnight right mm-hmm. And it was at this time I ran into this quote by J.K. Rowling, and it just like stuck with me. And maybe yeah. this what like kind of this was this is the seed that uh, that caused my love for quotes. Now who knows? <laughs> she said, "And so rock bottom became the foundation from which I built my life upon." Mm-hmm. And I really felt like I was at rock bottom in that moment, right? Like I didn't have anything going for me. That's what I felt like. So. Mm-hmm. 
I focused on building up that foundation. And every day afterwards, I just, you know, I, I made this covenant to learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, I think that's where my love of learning started to blossom. Because mm-hmm. I realized, like, wow, there's so much shit out there in the world that I have no clue about. And it is beautiful. There is so much fucking beauty in this world. And mm-hmm. it just, I don't know, it, it indoctrinated in me this new love of life. I'm telling you, when like, and I love that. I think that from that point, that's where I looked forward to failure because it's it's taught me so many things. Mm-hmm. Like failure has become my north star, and I get a little anxious if like if I go too long without failing. <laughs> I think that's my that's my litmus test where I realize like, oh shit, you know, like here I'm coasting right now. Mm. I don't want to fall back into that. Mm-hmm. And now I have this baseline. I know I have this image of myself where I never want to be at that stage of my life ever again, mm-hmm. and that motivates me to just keep getting better yeah um i love yeah. that i love how you phrase that in terms of the litmus test like i think how i think of it is if you're not progressing you're regressing there's no such thing as a mm-hmm. flat trajectory like if you're doing the same thing it means eventually you're going to become worse because you're no longer doing the things that got you to where you are right now um exactly so you're either accelerating upwards or accelerating downwards and you, you know which which one of those do you want to be like do you want to keep like oscillating between up and down and kind of staying at the same trajectory or do you want to like you know, either go all the way up or like at least as high as you can go. And yeah, I mean, wasted potential is such a scary thing to think about. Like, dude, do you really want to be on your deathbed thinking, damn, if I had only done this a little bit more instead of doing this, like what could I have done? And I think people have this like apprehension and like kind of fear of like seeing how, you know, how good they could be at something. And I've definitely done that too. I feel like I self-sabotage a lot where I'm like, if, if it, things are going too well, I'm like, hold up, you know, maybe things need to go worse right now. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And not gonna lie, like, I feel like I do that in relationships, <laughs> which is not great. Ooh. Like, um, right. Like, I'm, I'm talking specifically about romantic relationships where if things are going too good, I'm like, yo, hold up, let me just start a fight real quick because like things are going <laughs> too well. <laughs> You're so toxic, dude, bro. No, no, I, dude, it's something I, I've had to grow past, and you know, absolutely. For for those listening, I'm not. I, I don't want to say I'm a toxic human being, but I think. Um, extending this to like you know the concept of failure like people have this disbelief in like what they deserve like sometimes people don't think they deserve like something that good what they deserve um but i mean dude you deserve as much as you think you deserve and like this is something that stuck with me like throughout co-op and stuff but actually amy tang who you know suggested one of the the episodes on this uh she said something that was pretty cool she, um like or she there was like a, a quick story but basically like she, i think she was at um a research lab like for her first internship or something and there was like a, a really nice workstation that like was completely unused and it had like a way better view than like the workstation she she, she had and it's like a small story but i think it, it kind of expressed the idea really well she like you know she was like hey you know my workstation sucks and like previously at that workstation there was like a pretty big researcher or whatever but like now the desk is empty so she like literally went up she's like hey can i use this desk like it's, it's a way better workstation and they, they said yes right so it's like about thinking of like what you deserve and just like reframing it as like a you know i might as well ask i might as well go for like what's more and that served me like really well in salary negotiations you know like just just ask for it and like you know maybe you won't get it but sometimes you get it and bro that extra six bucks an hour will make a huge difference on your osap so (laughs) you should definitely definitely do it uh but thank you for sharing your story really appreciate it absolutely no like you said like the worst thing like people can say when you ask is no right Mm -hmm. and then what happens like nothing changes yeah so this is really not like yeah there isn't any real risk involved in that if anything you stand to gain a lot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but like yeah you mentioned like a whole bunch of things one of those things being that i I feel like a lot of people 
they they see the progress that people have made um, and they recognize that and it may be in something that they wanted to do right like for example learn how to play the piano right and they see someone who's their age and there's just this they possess this prodigious talent and you know they rationalize themselves like yo if I started you know five years ago and I said I was going to learn how to play the piano then I would be just as good as this person is and they continue um, just belaboring that same excuse year after year after year and they never take any steps to try and start you know and like mm-hmm. again like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is today quote, so yeah. <laughs> yeah start today and like work on that yeah um, and like one last point before I ask you about your oh I'm definitely um, being asked yeah. I knew it <laughs> I couldn't get out yeah. of it I was like let me bring up some, some other topics so I don't have to go <laughs> nah man it's time for vulnerability okay absolutely um but like the last thing is, I feel like there's a lot of people who just waste, they just wait and wait and wait for the secret sauce, for this recipe, for this tool, Probably this person, formula. Yeah. whatever it is, that, that secret to success, right? And people think it's going to come in the form of some productivity app Yeah. or like, or some new system to implement or whatever. Yeah. And you know, the secret to success isn't as ambiguous as it would seem. Mm-hmm. And realistically, the only way to be successful is to start putting in the work. Yeah. And I don't know why people shy away from that truth so much. Because mm-hmm. like, it's such an obvious thing. Like, you're not going to get anywhere unless you start putting in the work. You start putting in the like the hours required to learn the new skill, to network with the people who you want to, like, bridge that, the, like, your whatever field you're into, like into, into those domains, mm-hmm. like grow your network, grow your skills, grow your value. Mm-hmm. And if you don't put in the time to do that, nothing's going to change. Like it doesn't matter if you download Todoist or Evernote or no you reach out whatever to yeah. reach out to us on like LinkedIn or like whatever, right? Yeah. Like just do the thing you want to do. That's it's as simple as that. Yeah. The yeah. man who does holds all the power and everyone else doesn't matter. Or woman, the person who does, let's be, let's not be gendered, but yeah. Yeah, a man cannot build a reputation on who he wants to become. Yes, exactly. Wait a um, So, it's time. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I definitely think it's important to be vulnerable in these episodes. And that's one of the reasons I, I like this podcast. And I think that's probably a reason a lot of people listen. Because they get to listen to, like, real stories and things like that. So, yeah, I guess I have to be vulnerable, too. <laughs> I have shared yeah. some of this, like, before on the podcast. Um, and... Um, yeah, so like it's it's not that that new, but uh, basically like I think the biggest point of failure I've, I've ever come across was like, and probably like the lowest point in my life was like last May. Uh, the month of May was like probably like the worst month of my life, or like one of the worst months of my life, where, you know, I just felt like I was in a funk, like I was like getting out of bed late, which is not something I ever do. I was on my phone a lot, and and it, it kind of stemmed from this, I think like this comparison I was drawing with myself, and I've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast, but. You know, success is a very non-linear thing, right? Sometimes you put in the work consistently, 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 or you think you're putting in the work consistently, 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 and then you know you see you feel like you're getting no results, and you feel like you're just experiencing failure without being able to progress from it. And the worst part is like you know when you fail an interview, and you're like, okay, well it's a failure. Let me take what I can from this. And you ask for feedback, and they're like, sorry, we can't give you feedback. And it's like, what the heck do I do from here? It's like. You know, I've been failing interviews. They've all been going horribly. And so, yeah, I was at that point where, you know, I got in a call for the summer and it was at a okay company, uh, but it wasn't really like, you know, what I wanted to do. And it wasn't really like, you know, where I had expected myself to be at that point in my journey. 
Um, and those expectations were driven by a lot of comparisons with friends and a lot of friends who, you know, had like gotten better jobs and like were doing what they wanted to do and seemed like they had everything figured out or whatever it is. And, um, so yeah, that month of May, you know, all my friends were getting into med school, all my friends were getting into, you know, great jobs at, at big companies and things like that. And I was just kind of like there, I was still in Toronto and it was a big goal of mine to like, you know, leave Toronto and like experience new places and things like that. And so, I don't know, I just felt super shitty that entire month. And yeah, bringing it back to failure and stuff, I think the biggest thing like for me to realize was that either I stay like that and I resign myself to feeling like I'm, I'm worthless or like, like you said, like, you know, you start doing the things, the little things to improve. And like, if you think you've done everything you can and you're still like not achieving what you want, you know, like you have two options from there. Either like, yeah, you're right. You know, like the world's out to get you. Like, you're just not gonna, you know, like nobody wants you to succeed. And if that's true, then, you know, like, dude, do you want that to be true? Or like, do you want to believe something else? And like actually taking the time and effort to improve on what you're what you're doing right and so it was that was a question for me it was like i can resign myself to apathy or i can actually do something about it and that I, that like decision is, is is you know not one decision but a collection of decisions and it's still something i have to live by now it's like you know when i wake up early in the morning do i go for that run or do i not go for that run right like there's still there, those decisions are a collection of of, of happenings that you have to consistently try and improve on and it's not something that you know once you flip the switch the switch is flipped um and and you're done with it um so yeah that was like probably a big thing for me where i like i just had to critically appraise myself and say you know like i think i always say this like oh you know maybe it's my name on my resume that's like not getting me offers you know maybe it's this maybe it's that it's like well you know those are all your control what are the things in your control that you are not maxing out and there's so many i can guarantee you um, there are so many things that everybody here and everyone listening is not maxing out or like not trying to improve on that you can be and that are well within your ability to improve. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I'm a firm believer in things like unconscious bias and like, you know, privileges and those exist. And, uh, I think we should do way better as a society trying to solve them. And I don't think it's up to individuals to be able to, you know, overcome everything. Cause like some people are like, let's be honest, some people are so far behind in terms of privilege that they're not going to be able to accomplish the same things you are and you do have it easier and i do have it way easier I'm like my, my both my parents went and did their grad graduate degrees right so it's a huge privilege mm-hmm. in and of itself um but i think on a personal basis like you know change happens and we should strive for that change but you should also strive to improve yourself and um that's that's like a philosophy i try and live my life behind now and yeah like focusing on those little decisions focusing on the margins has been huge for that failure and yeah, I think so, you know, in summary, the biggest failure, I think, was just, like, thinking I could, like, thinking I had nothing to improve on, and once you start thinking that, then you actually do have nothing to improve on, because you're waste, like, <laughs> you know what I mean, so, so getting right. out of that, like, mindset that you've reached something, you've never reached something, you're continuously sculpting your life, you know. We're forever on this journey, and, like, when we reach the end, it's literally the end. Yeah, yeah, and as long as you're as long as you're still breathing, you haven't reached the end yet. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that though. Yeah, that was like beautiful to see how. I mean, you, I think you really start to like look at how much you value like your time a lot more now too, depending on like the things you're doing, and you yeah. like that. I feel like you probably have and tell, like tell me if I'm wrong, but like you've gotten a lot better self-reflection as a consequence of going through that whole experience. Yes. Yeah. I'm low key glad I had that because, uh, I'm not the type to self-reflect if things are busy. 
Um, so yeah. sometimes being forced to self-reflect. And that happened again this May. I don't know what it is about May, bro. May, May is a month <laughs> that kicks my ass. I don't like May. Because <laughs> it's always in between things, right? It's like in between internships, right after school ends. It's like a weird... It's like that time between like Christmas and New Year's where like, you know, calories don't matter and like you can wake up whenever you want. You're up at 4 a.m. You're with your family. Like, you know, things are going on, but like it's kind of like you lose track of the days. Um, And that's what May always is. But I'm so glad, like you said, that I had that time to self-reflect. And this year as well, like, you know, it was a forced self-reflection and it was super useful to me because it helped me like, you know, think about things that I, I had just taken for granted on like the last 12 months of the year, you know right um there was like as you were speaking there was this one other uh i was presented with this question uh that i feel is a really powerful prompt for self-reflection yeah uh, but the question is how am i complicit in creating the conditions i say that i don't want Oof. and i love the wording on that question Oof. because yeah it's like every every word in that question is is uh picked so intentionally and I think the key word there is complicit, mm. is that you're allowing these conditions to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And again, so like, how am I complicit in creating the conditions I say that I don't want? Yeah. And, you know, I feel like there is a point where you know, complaining is actually pretty useful if you can recognize when you're doing it. Because like, complaining shows you what you don't want in your life. Right. Um, and so long as you're able to use that, again, like as a prompt um that you require some reevaluating or reassessing which what direction you want to head in. Um, complaining can be good for that, but if you just all you do is just complain and complain and complain, and you're not changing anything, then you know as Einstein said, insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. And yeah, like complaining persistently and not changing anything, you're insane if you think that your life is just going to turn around by just doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for sharing that. I think those are some really great points as well. And, you know, we've been kind of kind of going in circles, but I think the the central theme here is that, you know, you always got to strive to improve yourself and failure is important, but also beyond just failing, self-reflection on that failure, failing mindfully is very very important so you can actually translate that into improvement. Um, and so yeah, I just want to kind of close off this episode with a little bit of motivation um, because I feel like, you know, we compare ourselves a lot and like this relates to like the feeling behind episode quite a bit where you know we think of all these successful peoples and things like that uh and we're like you know i'm so behind like i'm already 21 like all these kids are like doing so much cool shit uh so i wanted to like kind of share some stories um that i found like off some quote or website or whatever uh martin luther king was 34 when he wrote the speech i have a dream mercury was 35 when she got nominated for her nobel prize in physics the wright brothers were 32 and 36 when they built the first successful airplane Van Gogh was 37 when he died virtually unknown, and yet his paintings today are worth millions. Armstrong was 38 when he became the first man to set foot on the moon. Mark Twain was 40 when he wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and 49 years old when he wrote The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Uh, Rosa Parks was 42 when she refused to obey the bus driver's order to give up her seat. Henry Ford was 45 when the first uh, Ford T came out. Uh, Charles Darwin was 50 when his book On the Origin of Species came out. Da Vinci was 51 when he painted the Mona Lisa. Abraham Lincoln was 52 when he became president. Uh, Dr. Seuss was 54 when he wrote Cat in the Hat. Um, J.R.L. Tolkien was 62 when Lord of the Rings came out. And uh, Nelson Mandela was 76 when he became president. So, yeah, just uh, you know, interesting to think about timelines and think about success and think about failure and, and realize that you have a long life ahead of you. 
and you got to keep improving and keep taking those failures and keep moving forward yeah and keep, like i actually love that i love talking about examples like that cause i feel like we especially like in this day and age again like we talked about this before like all we see is every success is online on linkedin and twitter and everyone's just like flex on everyone else mm-hmm. you like there is no rush through life you know most of these people see success like well like later on in life so just have faith mm-hmm. that what you're doing is the right thing for you and keep moving in forward you know perpetually the future belongs to those who prepare for it today yeah so i feel like yeah beautiful way to end it i think it's a great way to end the episode yeah um i actually maybe one more quote i know this is like we've been throwing a lot of them this episode (laughs) but just to like just this last one to show think about like the people that you keep in your life right because the people you surround yourself with really do have a significant impact on the trajectory that you head through in life mm-hmm. and it's important to keep that in mind because they can sabotage you without you even knowing it a lot of people really conspire against you um behind the scenes despite you know congratulating you when things are going your way but keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions small people always do that but the really great make you feel like that you too can be become great and so you need that yeah you need more of people like Fouad in your life where you're going to be your biggest cheerleaders you know of course always trying to be a cheerleader um, and there's oh sorry just one more point yeah there's this one word that i love um pranoia if you heard of it yeah what does it mean so pranoia is basically the opposite of paranoia where you basically believe that everyone around you is conspiring to see you successful i feel like if you can embrace that pranoia then you can see far more success in your life when you believe that everyone's just out here to help you you're going to be more likely to ask for help Mm -hmm. you're going to be more likely to take those risks because you know that there are going to be people behind you supporting you through the ups and the downs for sure so everyone if i can leave you with one psa support or embrace that pranoia and keep moving forward beautiful thank you so much for listening everyone uh it was a long episode with a ton of quotes but i think there's a ton of great insights as always we'll link some resources in the description And, you know, feel free to reach out, feel free to talk to us, and feel free to suggest a future episode. Signing off. Absolutely. Farewell.